following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. All right, well, it's, a, it's an exciting day today. We're, we're starting out this new series called Mosaic. And uh, this is a series that we're doing across three churches in Auckland. So we're, we're leading the charge today. We're the first cab off the rank. And then uh, next week, Grace City Church in Green Lane. They start the same series, same message next week. And then the week after that, Summit Church out in East Auckland, out in Botany. They're joining in. And so these three churches, we've staggered the start line, and we get to go first. We get to be the guinea pig. But all three churches are going to work through the same series over the next nine weeks. First time we've ever done anything like this before at Shaw. Uh, First time I've ever done anything quite like this, but already just the journey of working together and talking together and planning together has been so good. It's been so rich and so collaborative and so done in the name of church unity, which has been so, so good. So we're enjoying it already. And uh, I want to encourage you, there's a number of different ways that you can engage with this series. We're trying to make it interactive. For us at Shaw, this is an integrated series across a whole lot of different ministry areas. So our kids' ministry areas will all be tracking through the same series. Uh, Our life groups, a lot of them will be tracking through the same series. Uh, The series itself is is on the life of Joseph, the person of Joseph in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Uh, But let me just mention a couple of things. The website, we grab the website there, Rob. That website there has got everything that you need. So, so jot down the address, and that is the home of all three churches are using the same site, right? So that's, there's a discussion guide there for life groups. There's an individual uh, daily devotional guide there. So you can be doing some readings in the Bible, following along with a series over the next nine weeks. And each day, you'll have there's some readings that take you through the story of Joseph as well as some other relevant scriptures from the Old and the New Testament. So you can be doing this just in your own personal Bible reading time, and that's a great way of getting a personal Bible reading time going if you don't have one, knowing there's a whole lot of other people doing this at the same time. So we've got that. We've also got table talk questions, particularly for families. So discussion starters for around the table or in the car or wherever you are, just things to spark some conversation. And keep the conversation going. And here at Shore, we still have space in a number of our pop-up life groups. So we have, I think, six new groups now that are starting. Uh, already had about 15 life groups. Now we've got six new ones that are starting just for this series. Um, there's been a lot of interest, but there's still some spaces left in those groups. If you haven't got any of the emails and you don't know what I'm talking about, just email the office. We'll get you the details. We'll uh, send you to one of the groups that's still got space. And you'll be able to track through the series and meet with other people and talk about it and just keep those conversations going. So those are some of the ways. Hopefully, for, for each of you, there's at least one way among all of those things that you could do beyond just Sunday mornings, that would help you connect with what we're doing. And you'll just get so much more out of the series that way. You'll bring some familiarity to these mornings, and and this will just help you apply it to your life and go through this in community, which is really important. Okay, so for this morning, we're starting today with Genesis 37. This is the beginning of of Joseph's story, the beginning really of of Joseph's family, and we'll, we'll journey through finishing up in Genesis 50 in nine weeks' time. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, this is a good time to pull out. If you've got it on the device, get the app going and turn over to Genesis 37. Now, the way that we're going to do this to read the passage over the next nine weeks is it's going to be on a video. And this video uh, involves people from all three churches. 
Okay, so you might recognize some people from shore on the video. There's also some people from Summit and some people from Grace City, and they're reading this passage to you. Okay, so this is how we're going to experience it together and gives us a bit of a sense of, of doing this with other churches. So you can follow along in your Bibles, and here's Genesis 37. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending his flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheath rose and became upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. So Joseph went after his brothers, but they saw him in the distance, and before they reached him, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, let's kill him and throw him into one of these systems, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. They took him to Egypt, and the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Oh, you recognize a few faces there? Pretty cool, eh? All right, so as we come to the story in Genesis 37, and we read this passage, I feel like in some small way, I feel like I can relate personally to this family a little bit, because we have three boys. We don't have 12 boys. I could not imagine having 12 boys. I think that would tip me over the edge. But we have three. And uh, so our boys are 7, 9, and 11 now. And, uh, and let's just say there's a bit of sibling rivalry that goes on among these brothers. There's a fair bit of fighting that happens. There's a fair amount of bickering that goes on in these brothers. So I think I can relate to this at, at some level. Uh, I remember a little while ago, I sat down with all three of our boys to play the game Catan. Does anyone know this game? It's a good game, Catan. And so uh, Josh got it for Christmas. So we sat down, 
Uh, Anna wasn't playing the game, quite a wise choice, I think. So I sat down with the boys and played this game. It was Ezra's first time, he's our youngest. It was his first time playing this game by himself. So he was super excited to see how this was going to go. And for the first little while, it was, it was great. You sort of lull yourself into a false sense of security, don't you, thinking this is going to actually go all right. And sure enough, after a little while, Josh and Lawson started to have a little disagreement about something. Who knows what it was? Some minor detail of the game. And then that escalated into an argument. And then, of course, the argument escalates into a full-blown fight. And they're shoving each other and pushing each other, grabbing each other's clothes over the top of the game board, at which point I lost it and <laughs> threw my cards onto the game board and said, that's it, you guys go to the naughty corner, I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> Ezra had a complete meltdown at that point because he was the only one behaving himself. <laughs> it's very unusual for Ezra. And it had all blown up in his face, so we all stormed off to our four corners of the house and that was the end of Catan. So it's all peace and harmony in our household, I tell you what. No troubles, right? So I feel like I can connect with Joseph's family just, just a little bit, you know, because you've got all of this sibling rivalry going on in this family. But at the same time, I mean, as you, as you listen to that story and you think about this family, I mean, that, this is it's next level crazy, isn't it? As far as what they are experiencing. I mean, our boys have their problems, but, you know, neither of them have thrown another one into a cistern yet. Now, they've got, their, they've got their issues, but they haven't sold one of them to a slave trader yet, as far as I know. They might get some ideas, maybe, in this series. I don't know. It's only week one, right? Who knows where it's heading? But as you listen to the story, I mean, this is a very dysfunctional family, isn't it? I think when a lot of you are probably quite familiar with this part of Joseph's story, and we get drawn to the nice parts of the story. I mean, we love the part about the Technicolor Dreamcoat, and that's, you know, that we, we imagine that in our minds, and, and, and the love that Jacob had for Joseph in giving him this multicolored coat. Those are the nice parts of the story. But we forget that underneath that and swirling around that is all sorts of mess and chaos. In this family, this is an incredibly dysfunctional family. And I just want to paint a little picture for you for a few minutes of, of the problems that this family is experiencing because it kind of sets up everything that's going to come after this. I think a lot of the issues within Joseph's family, Jacob's family, they go back to the father of the family, Jacob. He, he was called Israel by God. That was, that was the name he was given. So those two names kind of alternate in this story. But Jacob himself came from a mess of a family. And if you read back a few chapters in Genesis, you see that Jacob himself was the less favored son. So his dad, Isaac, blatantly loved his older brother Esau more than him. And the Bible actually just says that. So Jacob has this experience from early in his life of knowing that he's loved less than his brother. Now, what's that going to do to you? You know, you imagine the kind of insecurities that he would have had. Imagine the, the self-worth issues that he would have had because of that. And he carried all of that through his life. And that made Jacob into a really selfish person, a very manipulative person, a very deceitful person as he goes through his life. And then he comes to have children. And he has these 12 sons. He has daughters as well. But he has these 12 sons. And what do you know? He starts showing favoritism towards one of his sons towards Joseph. And you would think, if you, if you read Jacob's story, you would think this is the last guy who should be showing any kind of favoritism 
towards one of his sons. Like he knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of being the less favored son. And yet, isn't it, it's such an insight. Isn't this often the way? The very things that we struggle with in our parents are the things that we start to see coming out in our lives. Is that true for anyone? The very things that you vow you're never going to become like that. That thing I see in my mum, that thing I see in my dad, never going to let that happen. And then you just see it starting to come out in your life because those patterns are so ingrained generationally. This is just what Jacob knew. Unequal treatment between brothers. And so one way or another, that's just what he does. That what we know in our background, that just tends to be, one way or another, what we end up passing on. That's exactly how it was with Jacob. So he favors Joseph above all the others. And to show him this favoritism, he makes for him this lovely ornate robe. Now, I, just as a little side note here, I know this is going to burst your bubble, but I'm not sure this was a technicolored robe. I know, I know, millions of children's Sunday school dreams just were shattered there. But it wasn't necessarily a multicolored robe. Uh, in the NIV, it just talks about an ornate robe. In fact, the word itself, the Hebrew word, it may mean multicolored, but it may equally mean just a long robe that went down to the ankles and, and covered the arms. We don't quite know exactly what it was. It was a lovely garment, but it may not have been full of all sorts of colors. So I'm sorry to do that to you, but you know, this is just, we don't quite know what exactly that word meant. But it was a beautiful robe. And Jacob had made it himself. And he gives this to Joseph. And Joseph wears it proudly. But again, imagine what that's doing to his brothers. Now, how are the other brothers perceiving this? The other 11, I mean, they're a motley bunch, these boys. They have had their struggles as well. Again, if you read the backstory of, of these brothers, they were born to four different women. So already you're going to have this hierarchy. You're going to have this kind of different groups and factions and a pecking order within the brothers. They'd gone through the trauma of having one of their sisters sexually assaulted. And then some of the brothers take vengeance on her attackers and murder a whole lot of men for that. So these guys are killers. They're murderers. And they've gone through the trauma of what, what their sister has experienced. Like they are carrying some serious baggage by the time you get to Genesis 37. This is, this is a group of men who were deeply troubled, deeply disturbed. And now they've got Joseph shoving this robe in their face. Right, so on top of everything else, now they've got to deal with Joseph's, he's the beloved son. He's the favorite child. He's wearing this blimmin' robe everywhere. He goes, and they've got that front and center. They're having to deal with this. And then, even Joseph himself, like you look at Joseph in this story, he comes across pretty well. But I think there's still a question mark there over some decisions that he makes. You know, he has these dreams and that's fine. These, these are God-given dreams, you know, about the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him. Okay, that's, that God has given him those dreams, but did he need to share them with his brothers? I mean, let's just ask yourself the question. How would that have gone down in your family? I don't think our boys would have done too well if one of them had said, by the way, you're all going to be bowing down to me in a few years' time. That's just going to be another big fight like Catan. And, but Joseph just shares this. Here's the deal, guys. You know, my sheaf is greater than your sheaves. Yours will be bowing down to me. So I think there's a question mark. There's a little bit of moral ambiguity there, I think, over Joseph's character at this point in the story. So you have got a pretty toxic cocktail of issues going on in this family. And all of that sets the stage for the really tragic events that unfold in this chapter. Joseph goes out and sees his brothers one day out near Dothan, 
tending their sheep. And they see him coming and they say, let's get rid of that dreamer. Let's kill that dreamer. But Reuben, kind, <laughs> caring, responsible Reuben, which is true of everyone who has that name. Reuben steps in and says, no, don't kill him. Just throw him in a well. And, and actually, Reuben had a little plan to, to rescue him later on and bring him back to his father. So Reuben tries to do the right thing here. They throw him into this well, the cistern. But then when Reuben's not there, they see some slave traders coming along on the road to Egypt. And they decide, here's an easy way of getting rid of him. We won't have had to actually kill him. His blood won't be on our hands, but we'll, we'll get rid of him for good. So they sell him off to the, basically these human traffickers for 20 shekels of silver. And just take a second to imagine what that was like for Joseph. 17 years old. Think about that. Think about that, teenagers. 17 years old. Here's Joseph. He's just been sold into human trafficking, being taken to a foreign country, where as far as he knows, he will spend the rest of his life as a slave. And you just imagine how is he feeling as he's carried off down the road there and he sees his brothers fading into the distance. What trauma for this young guy. This is horrendous stuff for Joseph. We know the end of the story. He didn't know that. So you end up with a situation then. The brothers come back to Jacob, the father. They take Joseph's robe. They've already stripped that off him. They dip it in animal's blood. They bring it back to Jacob and Jacob's just heartbroken. His beloved son, as, as far as he knows now, is dead. His, his favorite son, even though that's, that's not right, but this is his favorite son, and he loves Joseph, and he's just devastated. All he wants at the end of this chapter is to go down and join his son in the grave. He's just absolutely desperate. And so you get to the end of Genesis 30, uh, 37. It's a pretty sorry story. You've got a family that's deeply troubled, that's deeply distressed, and a family really that's in crisis. There's a deep, deep crisis in Joseph's family, in Jacob's family. So does that make you feel any better about your family on Mother's Day? There you go. That's a happy family story, isn't it? I mean, this is a messed up family. And it's an, it's an extreme example. I mean, they, this is dramatic. This is extreme stuff. It's an extremely broken family. But, but here's what I want to say. Even though this is, these are things that you and I will probably never experience, I think we can see something in the story that is true of every human family. I think we can see a principle in here that is true of every single human family, and that is that every family experiences brokenness. Is that right? Maybe not to this length, maybe not in these ways, maybe not that extreme, but every single human family, in one way or other, to whatever degree or other, experiences some level of brokenness and some level of dysfunction. You're all in a family, one way or other, okay? You can think, about, you can think of, of applying this to your family of origin, the family you've grown up in. You could think of applying this to the family you live with now, if they're within your household, or just broader family connections that you've got, your extended family. We've all got a family. We've all got family relationships of some kind. And every single family is a broken family. Right? You, you don't have to have a broken marriage to have a broken family. You don't have to come from a separated home to be a broken family. Every family is a broken family. Why? Because it's made up of broken people. This is where we've got to start. Every one of us, like these 12 brothers and their father, are broken people. We are messed up. We carry dysfunction in our lives. We are flawed and failed people. So what's going to happen when you take broken people and you put them in families? 
Those families are going to be messed up one way or another. Maybe not quite like Joseph's family, but they are going to bring dysfunction. We bring our baggage into our families. Families can cause a lot of these troubles, but they're also the places in which we live out and play out a lot of the struggles we already have. And therefore, our personal brokenness feeds into family brokenness. Every single family is a broken family. And I want to invite you just to see yourself in this story somehow. Maybe you can relate in some small way to some of the brokenness that's going on in this family. Maybe you've had the experience of feeling like you are the less favored child. I mean, that's real, right, for a lot of people. I remember seeing an episode of The Crown there's a scene with Margaret Thatcher, and she's talking to the Queen. And she just comes out and says, well, my favorite son, Mark. You know, and the Queen's sort of taken aback by this, but she just says it so candidly. My favorite son, Mark. And it, it sort of launches the whole episode. And I went and did a little bit of research on that, and it turns out, yeah, it pretty much is true. She might not have said it quite like that, but Mark was the favored son. And some parents are like that. They've just got a favorite. And even if it's not really like that, you might just feel like it's like that. And that might create a real bitterness within you towards your mum or your dad. And you might be sitting with that this morning. You might feel a real envy. Maybe you could see yourself in these brothers. You look at them, you look at the 11, and you just feel that envy towards a sibling, one of your siblings, because they've got it better than you. Right? They just make more money than you do. They've got a better lifestyle than you do. Things have just gone better. They've turned out better for your brother or your sister. And so you have this resentment towards them. And you don't even want to have it. Like, we don't want these feelings. We just feel it because we don't want them to be doing better than us. We'd rather they got taken down a few pegs. And you're kind of sitting with that. You've just got this seething, loathing kind of bitterness. You don't want to be carrying it, but it's there. And some of you have got real family trauma going on. I mean, some of you have suffered huge wounds, massive wounds at the hands of family members, whether it's abuse or neglect, abandonment. And even talking about family is hard for you. Even being here on Mother's Day is hard for you because it surfaces all of these and you have really suffered some deep and heavy wounds and you carry that this morning. We're all bringing our family issues to this story. And to this day, even if your family is squeaky clean, right? Even if your family is amazing, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. My family is incredible. It's fantastic. I think if you looked hard enough, right, maybe in one of those quiet moments, you might just realize you've still got your stresses, don't you? You've still got the drama. There's still the struggles. There's, I know you can put on the happy face. I know you will look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about, broken families. But underneath it, I know. I know you walk in here with all of your nice smiles on, but you've been having a big fight in the car on the way to church, you know. You just know how to put on the happy Christian face in church. I know how to play that game, right? We know how to do these things. We can act all together, but let's just be honest with each other, right? We're all broken. Our families are broken. Let's just stop pretending. This is just the way it is. And it's, isn't there actually something refreshing about seeing another messed up family in Scripture? So like, thank goodness, mine's not the only one. No, and they're even worse than mine. There's something quite liberating about that, I think. So here's the good news I want to share with you. There is some good news here. As you read this chapter in the Bible, there's not actually a lot of good in chapter 37. There's a lot of good that comes later in the story, but right here, it's generally just bad news. But as you pull back from the story, and as you look at the story in a little bit of broader perspective in the Bible, there's some amazing things that become clear. For starters, 
This is not just any family. This is God's covenant family. Like this is the chosen family of God. Joseph's great-grandfather is Abraham. And God chose Abraham and Sarah specifically and said to them, you are going to be my family. Of all the families on the earth, you're going to be my family. And I'm going to work through you and through your descendants to bring blessing ultimately to the whole world. And yet Abraham was messed up. He had a messed up marriage. His son Isaac was messed up. Now we've got Jacob who's messed up and his 12 sons are messed up. But this is the first family of Scripture, you know, in the sense of their, their elevated status before God. This is the family carrying the promise of redemption on through the generations. And yet they are just fundamentally screwed up. And as you fast forward from this moment, you see some interesting things too. These 12 brothers in Joseph's family, Jacob's family, they become the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, Jacob's other name is Israel. He becomes the head of the nation of Israel. That's where the story is ultimately heading. These, these 12 brothers, they are going to become this nation that God will enter into covenant with. They will be his chosen people. And ultimately, through one of those brothers, Judah, from the tribe of Judah, who is going to arise ultimately? Jesus. The Messiah is going to come from this family. The chosen Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, is coming out of this family. Now, that's a long way in the future from this story, okay? I'm just painting a big picture for you. That's a long, long time away. But when you get all the way over to the New Testament and you read Matthew 1 and you look at Jesus' genealogy and you read his family tree, guess who's there? Jacob and his sons. And they show up. This is Jesus' papa. This is his, his ancestry. This is his family. And so as you're reading the Joseph story, as we're reading Jacob's family story, I want you to see we are reading the family tree of Jesus. And these are people that show up all the way over in the New Testament as part of Jesus' lineage. So you could not have a more important family. This is the family of promise. This is the family of covenant. This is the family of the Messiah. And yet they are so screwed up. And I think that's good news. Because what that tells me is that God doesn't mind using broken families. Right? God doesn't. He's not waiting for some perfect family to come along. God's not saying to you, hey, can you just get all your stuff sorted out and get all your family relationships humming away so everyone's getting on with everyone all the time and then I will start working and then I will start blessing. No way. God's saying, hello, have you heard of Abraham? Have you heard of Jacob? You know, this, this dysfunctional father who, who, who stood by even when his own daughter was being sexually assaulted and did nothing about this. And now he's showing favoritism to one son. I mean, this guy is like a dropkick of a dad. And yet God is saying, I'm going to use this family in the whole story that I am writing throughout history. God's not looking for perfect families. He's going to work through broken families. And if he's going to work through broken families, that means he can work through your family. That's the good news. That's what God's saying to you today. He's saying, I'm not waiting for your family to have it all together. And I'm certainly not asking you to pretend that your family's got it all together. He's saying, I want you to recognize that I'm working right now in the mess and in the strain and in the struggle and in the heartache of what you're experiencing in your family. God is at work. If he was at work in a family that messed up, you better believe he's at work in your family. 
and he's at work right now. Not just in the good parts of your family life, but in the really, really hard parts as well. And sometimes I think we've just got to have the eyes to see it. We've got to ask God just to raise our awareness so we can start to see what is God doing in my family. That's the question I want you to start asking yourself. Even as I'm talking, just ask yourself that now. What, what might God be doing in my family? It's different to what he was doing in Joseph's family. It's different to every other family. But what, 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 how is God at work? Maybe you've never thought about that. You're just too busy just trying to get through the day. But just take a moment and ask yourself, what, what might God be doing in my family? And what might he be doing in the brokenness, in the broken places of my family? As you're thinking about that, I want to play you a video. Uh, and this is, this is a story, uh, the story of Catherine, who's a friend of ours, Catherine Tangaloa. Uh, some of you will know her. And she's really vulnerably and courageously shared her story with us so that you can hear it. And it's a story of the brokenness in her family and the way God's working through that situation and bringing renewal, bringing healing. Have a look at this. Her and her siblings orphans, and they were sent to... Any chance of playing that from the top, Rob? I'll carry on. You give me a wave when you think you've got it back to the beginning. So let me just mention some of the ways in which God might be working in your family. Some of the things then that God might be doing. Maybe for some of you, it's just the simple reality that God is working in the lives of your kids. You know, just think about that for some of you. I know, I know, I know some of the stories, and I know some of the struggles. And I know for you parents, there are some real difficulties that are going on. And, and maybe your kids are making decisions that are just really challenging and really hard to watch and really gut-wrenching for you. And maybe you just feel like, I don't know what to do, and you're afraid, and you're, you feel like your heart is just being ripped out. And maybe God would say to you today, I want you to trust that I'm at work in the lives of your kids. I just simply want you to trust. I, I want you to take the life of your child and just lay it down. Lay it down before me and trust that I'm at work in their life. You might not see it. You might not know what's going on. They've got their decisions to make. They've got their future. But you just take their life and you lay it down before God and you trust him with that outcome. Maybe that's what God is speaking to you today because you're carrying it so heavily, some of you. And God's saying, I want to carry this with you. I want to carry this burden for you. It's not that everything's going to be immediately fixed, but I've got your child. God's saying to you, maybe they're my child before they're your child. They're my son before they're your son. I want you to lay their life down, surrender. God's calling you to a process of surrender this morning. And maybe for some of you, if you can see yourself in this story, maybe in the brothers, maybe you can see yourself in Jacob, maybe God's saying, I want to work on that envy in your life. I want to work on that attitude that you've got towards a sibling or that attitude you've got towards a parent and you've got that seething bitterness that's there. God's saying, I want to start working on that in your life because that's not the person I want you to be. And you know where that starts is finding your place in God's family. You know, we're singing this morning, I'm a child of God. That's the beginning. That's recognizing actually my earthly family is important, but it's not the most important family. What you need to do is come back and recognize your heavenly father is the one who loves you like no earthly parent ever can. And that's where your identity comes from. And when you know yourself as having God as your father, and you know Jesus is your elder brother, and he's the elder brother you really need, not one you need to envy, but one who's your defender, and one who's your strength, and one who's your protector, 
when you know yourself in God's family, it helps you deal with your earthly family so much better because you don't get all your identity from them. They, important as they are, they don't tell you who you are. They don't ultimately define you. You're defined by being in God's family. The more you're grounded in God and him as your father, the more prepared and equipped and centered you will be to deal with the stresses and strains in your own earthly family. All right, let's jump in and watch Kath's story here, see if we can get that going. Kia ora tata, ko pangaru te maunga, ko hokianga te moana, ko whakarapa te awa, ko waipuna te marae, ko te rarawa te iwi, ko waiariki te hapu, ko Catherine Tangaloa hau, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Um, today I'm here to tell you my story. I was born into brokenness. My grandfather was somebody who was subject to a lot of abuse and torture at the hands of his father. And my father became the object of my grandfather's abuse. By the time he was nine, he was a full-blown alcoholic and started to get in trouble with the law. Um, my mother had a different start in life. My mother was born in the Hokianga and is of Te Rarawa descent. She grew up in a loving whānau with lots of support. Unfortunately, tragedy was to strike my mum at the age of five when her father passed away from pneumonia and tuberculosis and then my grandmother died when my mother was nine making her and her siblings orphans and they were sent to an orphanage um, where they didn't understand any English and um, they struggled but um, eventually my mother was and her siblings were fostered by their auntie unfortunately this life became a life of abuse soon after she met my father and them coming together they my mum fell pregnant with my brother and my mother's family would not accept that my mother was marrying a Pakia and either would my father's family accept that he was going to marry a Māori. So my mother and father had to give away my brother which was the way things were in New Zealand at the time and um, they had to give him away and adopt him out. Um, my father was still drinking but after becoming a dad he, his drinking got worse. Um, he was very violent um, my father was chose me as his the object of his abuse, just like his father had chosen him before him. You know, by the time he left, I was full of fear. Unfortunately, my mum had to work long hours and leave us alone at night because she was supporting us by herself. And um, so she would leave me and my sister alone. And unfortunately, that cycle of abuse followed us. And um, yeah, all I want to say about that time in my life is that, um, that it repeated itself. My journey led me to a path of healing, which took a lot of refining with God, I think. Um, and now I trust God implicitly with my plans. On reflection, the life of violence and cruelty that I lived personally, um, I always had that question in my mind. Number one, where was God? And number one, where were you? Why didn't someone help me um, when I'm a helpless child? So um, what I have learned is that God was there. He was there all the time. When I first gave my life to Christ, I couldn't see God as my father and that was okay because my father had hurt me so, so much that I couldn't relate to him. But I have a wonderful husband and he is very godly, I believe. And he taught me how a man can be gentle and strong. Um, and so I, he helped me learn 
that, um, that God, I could trust God. So um, I still trust God for my healing today. Also, um, I've become that person. Yeah, I'm that person in my whanau who puts my hand up. I don't um, stand by and let things happen because that's what happened to me. So um, four years ago, Lawrence and I trusted God and um, started working with my cousin, my first cousin's maternal daughter-in-law. Um, and she was about to lose her children to Oranga Tamariki. So Lawrence and I prayed, even though we were at that time in our lives where we were just free of our kids, our first three children. Um, and we prayed and now we are parents, four years on, we're parents to three more children, three more beautiful girls, twins, and their beautiful sister. Um, so we get to put our hand up and we get to do that. So we put our hand up and God did the rest. Yeah, and my, my challenge to other people out there is to put your hand up. You know, I think that if we are able to be the eyes and ears out there, especially those of us who believe in Christ, and we can do something a little to help, it makes a huge difference because it made a difference in my life. Pretty awesome story, huh? Very powerful testimony of God taking Kath from a place of just deep brokenness that she's experienced, but right through to her now being an incredible blessing to, a, to another family, and giving hope and a future to these children, the way in which God's brought renewal into that situation. It's amazing. And I know that's, that, that's Kath's story. That's not your story. You've got your own stories, and, uh, and, and they'll all be different. But I want you to ask yourself, how is God working? What, what kind of hope might God be wanting to bring into the broken places in your own family? And some of you, I know, have suffered very, very deep wounds and very deep trauma in the context of your family. Maybe today for you, God is just saying, I, I want to help you to take a first step towards healing. For some of you really carrying burdens, maybe you've never started working through some of those deep issues in the past. Maybe you have and you've just gotten stuck at a certain point. And maybe today God's just prompting your heart and saying, I'm here, I'm with you, I am your father, even though it may take you a long time to come to terms with God as your father because of what father may mean to you. But God is wanting to say to you, I'm safe. And he's just encouraging you this morning to take a first step step, which may be just talking to someone, just a very first step. And maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum, whatever kind of spectrum it is, and, and you feel like your family is very stable, and it's very grounded, and maybe it's a family of faith, and that's good, and, there's, and you've got a lot to be thankful for. And I don't want to take anything away from that this morning. I'm not trying to drag us down. There's so much to celebrate in our families. And if today is a day for you to be thankful for what you do have in your home, for the parents you have, for the children you have, for the siblings you have, then that's wonderful. And make that your prayer today, a prayer of thanksgiving. But continue to ask God to help you be the kind of person that can truly give love within your family. Maybe to those that you, you struggle a little bit to give that love to at times. Maybe to be the kind of person who can receive love from others in your family that maybe you struggle sometimes to receive that love from them for whatever reason. Just ask God to identify what are, those, what are those areas, what are those dynamics in my family where I could love a little more selflessly, where I could maybe honor my father or mother a little more than I do, where I could show blessing maybe to my, to my kids, where I could stop some of the generational stuff maybe that's gone on because you don't have to be defined by that. You don't have to pass that stuff on. You can decide to be the break in the chain and pass good things on to the next generation. What is God prompting you with? What is he saying? How might God take the broken pieces of your family 
and bring them together. Because what God wants to do, if we're open to it, if our hearts are open, God wants to take all these broken pieces of our lives, all these broken pieces of our family, and he wants to bring them together into this beautiful mosaic. And this is why we call the series Mosaic. Because it's an amazing image. And I want to give you a little opportunity now there's, there's, to respond practically to this. We're going to pass along the rows some pieces of tile. Okay, And as these come past you, I want to invite you to take a piece of tile. Just take, take any one. You don't have to linger too long over it. It doesn't have to look like you. But just take a piece of tile and just hold it in your hand while I'm talking. This image of a mosaic, I think, is such a beautiful expression of what's going on in the life of Joseph and his family and what's going on in our lives. This, this mosaic here, by the way, is created by a woman in our church um, for our kids' ministry. The, our Boost kids are seeing this exact mosaic this morning. It's amazing, hey? And you see with a mosaic what an amazing piece of artwork it can be, and yet it is made up of broken pieces. And these pieces don't become smoothed out and flattened out and perfectly rounded and fit together all nicely. They're still all jagged, And they're still imperfect, but they come together and they create something beautiful. And I think that's what God is doing in this family that we see in Scripture through Joseph's family and all of this brokenness. He's creating something. He's making, and it's going to take, for that family, it's going to take hundreds of years to see the real fruit of that. It's not even going to be in their lifetime that they will see some of the beauty that comes out of that. But this is what God is wanting, wanting to say to you. He's wanting to take the brokenness in your life. Just think of that tile that you're holding as representing the broken places in your life and the broken places in your family. Maybe no one else knows about those things. Maybe they're things that you've never said to another soul, but you feel them and you carry them. And God's wanting to say to you, I want you to bring those broken pieces to me. I want you to bring them to me. I am safe and I am good and I am present And I want you to bring those broken pieces to me. And he invites you to bring them and trust that he will create something out of them that is beautiful. Now, that that doesn't mean, listen, hear me on this. That doesn't mean every marriage is going to be restored. I, I wish I could stand here and promise you that. I can't. Doesn't mean every separated family is going to be put back together. Doesn't mean that we can undo the abuse that's been done. But that's the point. God's saying, I'm not going to make these pieces less broken. You're bringing that brokenness to me. But God's saying, I am going to create something out of that brokenness. I'm going to create a mosaic of grace. And and that mosaic may simply be you trusting God more deeply in those broken places because you don't know what else to do. And you're out of answers and you're out of ideas. And this is you today just saying, God, I just give it up to you. I wish I'd done this earlier, but I'm just giving it all to you today. There's way more stuff here that I can't control than things I can control, so I'm just going to hand it all to you, God. Maybe it's you saying, God, I'm trusting that you're going to make a mosaic of of love out of my family where we can genuinely start to show love, not this plastic, artificial kind of love anymore, but real family love. And maybe for you, it's, it's God's going to create this mosaic of hope And I wonder whether some of you just need to hear that word hope this morning in your families because you feel like it's hopeless. And you just need to hear that this morning. It's not hopeless. It's never hopeless with God. He will bring beauty out of the brokenness. But you have to trust him with what he's going to do. You don't know what picture he's going to create. You don't know what he's going to do. All you can do is bring your brokenness. All you can do is bring yourself and in your hearts, bring the members of your family. 
and lay those down before God and let him work a masterpiece of grace in your life. So here's how I want to invite you to respond. In a minute, we're going to take communion together. And I want to invite you to bring that piece of tile up with you to the communion table. Just carry it with you. And before taking communion, I want to invite you to just place it on the table. And that symbolizes you handing your brokenness and your broken family, whatever that looks like, over to God. You don't need to say another thing to another soul. You just place that tile on the table. God knows exactly what's happening in that moment. And then as you lay that tile down in place of your brokenness, you receive the broken body of Jesus. That his body was crushed for you. His body was broken. He knows brokenness. And he's carried your brokenness on the cross. And so you're trusting him, trusting him with your family, trusting him with everything. And you're saying, Jesus, I'm just receiving your grace afresh. You're receiving his love afresh. You're receiving his forgiveness afresh. You're receiving his mercy afresh. You're receiving his presence afresh deeply into your life and deeply into your family into those cracks and crevices of your family relationships that are just not healthy. And you're saying, God, I need you to meet me there and I need your spirit to fill me there. So I invite you to enter into that exchange of laying down your tile, symbolizing brokenness, receiving the broken body of Jesus. So as we come, let's not, let's, let's not pretend. You know, we, we don't need to pretend anymore. Let's not pretend we're not broken. We are. Let's just move past that. Let's not pretend. Let's not do blaming Let's not hide and let's stop running. And let's just come honestly to God. Lay down our brokenness. Lay down our families. Families may not be here today. That's fine. You just bring them in your heart. Lay it down. And you receive the grace of God and trust He's going to start working and He's going to create that mosaic of grace for His glory. Let me pray and then we're going to take communion. God, we want to lift up every family in this room, every family represented here. Everyone who's listening online, we want to lift up every, every person and every family represented. And God, it, it's amazing to think that you see all these families and you see every part of the brokenness and the struggle and the hurt and the shame in every single one of our families. And you see it, God, you see today all the things that we've got to be thankful for and we do thank you. And you see all those things that we're carrying that are really hard. Maybe things from a long time ago, God. Maybe things really recently. But God, you see it all. And your heart breaks for the pain in our families too. But we thank you that you are the God of the broken. And just as you use that, that broken family of Joseph's, you're willing to use our families today and work in the midst of what's going on. So God, we just want to come honestly before you today and we thank you that you are our Father. You are the one who cares and you're the one who meets us exactly where we are. Lord, bring healing, bring encouragement, bring your spirit. Work within our lives, we pray, even though we can't see it, may not feel it, but we trust you're there and we trust you're working. We bring all that we are to you today, Jesus, in your name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, 
or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.